Welcome back to the Equipoise Podcast. Today's episode, Fundies. Fundies everywhere. Very few words are in need of a balanced perspective more than the words fundamentalist and fundamentalism. In this episode, I'm going to share the history of this word, what's often meant by different people when using this word, followed by some cautions to observe in the interest of balance. So what is a fundamentalist? Well, if you ask people of one denominational tradition, you'll hear a word defined in a most favorable sense, someone who holds to the right doctrines and standards and doesn't compromise with the world. Fair enough. But if you ask someone who is not a part of that and other similar movements, you'll likely hear it described in a much less than favorable sense. In fact, the term has been reduced to a pejorative most of the time, often abbreviated as fundy, encompassing a whole host of particular doctrinal and preferential sticking points. In fact, there's entire podcasts and Facebook pages dedicated to capturing the tweets, sermons, and embarrassing clips of many fundamental pastors in America and publishing them with accompanying commentary usually too scornful to be helpful. So because it's such a nebulous and subjective term, we're going to have to go back in time to find out just what a fundamentalist or fundy is exactly. Thing is, like so many other movements and traditions, it can be hard to track down exactly when, where, and by whom it was started, so we've got to go by what we do know. We do know that in 1910, the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church identified five particular doctrines that were known as the Five Fundamentals. These are as follows. Belief in biblical inspiration and its subsequent infallibility. Belief in the virgin birth of Jesus. Belief in the atonement. Belief in the resurrection of Christ. And belief that the miracles of Christ were actual and are historical. These fundamentals were designed to counter the growing consensus in the higher criticism and academic world that these five things simply could not and did not happen. The views against which the five fundamentals were contending were cobbled together as modernism, which is, of course, an equally unhelpful and vague moniker akin to how we use fundamentalism today, but let's keep going. From 1910 to 1915, two wealthy Presbyterians, Milton and Lyman Stewart, sponsored the publication of a 12-volume set of small booklets entitled The Fundamentals, A Testimony to the Truth. These booklets held 90 essays written by evangelical Christians and served to put forth what their authors, 64 pastors and theologians, defined as the fundamentals of the faith. If you take a look at these booklets, you'd find that they deal with much of what the Presbyterian described as fundamental in their five points, the historicity of the events described in the Bible and the nature of Christ and so forth. In 1920, we first find the word fundamentalist used in print by a Baptist publication. The author, Curtis Lee Laws, ascribes this title to anyone who, quote, fights for the fundamentals of the faith, end quote. By the fundamentals of the faith, he means the truths laid out in the aforementioned booklets. At this point, it was still a fairly tightly defined concept. A fundamentalist was someone who believed in the five fundamentals of the faith. A few events would happen in the 1920s, however, that would see the meaning of this term begin to broaden. In 1922, Harry Emerson Fosdick, a Presbyterian himself, preached a message called, Shall the Fundamentalists Win? His concern was that the fundamentalists were seen as anti-intellectual and overly sectarian. He agreed that modernism was a threat and called for individual liberty to believe whatever one wants to believe, but also begged for our differences to not divide Christians. Three years later, the Scopes trial took place, causing further demarcation within various denominations about whether or not the creation account in Genesis 1-3 through 3 must be read from a woodenly literal perspective per the fundamentalist, or could be read from a mytho-historical account within its ancient context per the pejoratively named modernist. From here, sides began to form on issues beyond the five fundamentals, and the term fundamentalist began to be applied to those with convictions far beyond the original five tenets. By the early 1940s, fundamentalism was generally associated with premillennialism, confrontational methods of evangelism, lack of concern for social justice, and lack of honest, intellectual, and charitable engagement with what was considered to be modernism. 
This was played out in a pointed and public divide between Bob Jones and Billy Graham in 1957, which saw Graham's desire to unify, despite what he saw to be minor differences, run contrary to Jones's desire to separate from all who differed on issues that now expanded beyond the original five fundamentals of the faith. There's a bit more to be traced up until today, but suffice to say that today the term fundamentalist really doesn't have anything to do with the five fundamentals of the faith anymore at all. So then, after all that, what is a fundamentalist? Well, for most on the outside looking in or looking behind on their way out, the term is more or less associated with those who are perceived as unfriendly, unintelligent, dishonest, and overly and unnecessarily literal in their interpretation of scripture. For those who identify as fundamental, like fundamental Baptist or fundamental Presbyterian, this term is still used by those who wish to describe themselves as fighting against what they believe to be false doctrine and the cultural changes that such doctrine brings. But I think that I'd argue that using the term fundamentalist is a losing battle in our increasingly postmodern Western culture. I recognize I'm not without dissenting brothers and sisters on that, but I'm of the persuasion that the term today does more harm than good. For example, when I imagine the typical caricature of a fundamentalist pastor, I conjure up someone who preaches that hymnals are the only way to sing in church, women aren't to wear pants, the King James Bible is the only right translation, uh, the Bible is to be understood only from a woodenly literal dispensational perspective, drinking and smoking are sins but gluttony isn't. Anger is a virtue rather than a vice, and y'all better be tied in your 10% to God or he's gonna get you. And so on, right? Now, my point in saying all that isn't to provoke a bunch of, yeah, that's right, you got them, reactions, or no way, that's slander, responses from my listeners. My point in saying all that is that the word fundamental no longer connotes anything about the virgin birth or the atonement of the cross of Christ. It just doesn't mean that anymore. You can say, yeah, but it should, it used to, but it doesn't, and that's where we are. Now, why bring up this topic for a podcast episode that's now two-thirds done already? (laughs) Well, here's two reasons. I think some things are unfairly characterized as fundamental when they're not, and I also think that when people leave fundamentalism, they're often attracted to or remain just as fundamental only with a now-polarized set of beliefs. This warrants caution. Here's what I mean, beginning with my first assertion. Oftentimes, particular convictions or preferences are characterized as fundy or fundamental when they shouldn't be. I believe balance here is needed. We covered a good example of this in my Hearts and Hemlines series on modesty. A position sometimes considered fundy might be one that involves measurements on hemlines and bust lines and waistlines and kneecaps to make sure a certain arbitrary rule isn't impinged, often while overlooking more important details of modesty. Yes, absolutely. An imbalanced opposite of that, though, would be, well, we have liberty in Christ, so we're not worried about that stuff. Just don't look if it stumbles you. The balance, however, is where we should be. And that balance shouldn't be unjustly relegated to mere fundamentalism. If you're interested in what that balance is, I'd ask that you go back and find those episodes. Another example of falsely attributing fundyism to valid doctrine is the idea of holiness and separation. This is often thrown in the fundy bin by many people who are sick and tired of hearing that enjoying a nice movie or not wearing a suit or long dress to church is somehow sinful. So they throw any idea of holiness and separation out the window. And I get it. But it's still a knee-jerk reaction that leads to an unfair assessment of, say, holiness and separation as some sort of fundamental value when it's not. That's a historic Christian position. This leads me to my second assertion that many people who leave fundamentalism are often just as fundamental or drawn to those who are just as fundamental as they used to be. In other words, there's more than one kind of fundamentalist. There's Christian fundamentalists, to be sure. But then there's also atheist fundamentalists, evangelical fundamentalists, neo-evangelical fundamentalists, and the list goes on. Remember, if fundy means someone who's stuck in his or her ways and won't listen to reason and is dogmatic without even looking at the evidence in front of their face, then there's definitely fundies everywhere, not just the ones with whom you disagree. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to people who rightly reject some of the harmful doctrines of what we call fundamentalism only to deliver blanket statements of their own that are just as fundamental-sounding. Instead of movie theaters are sinful, it's male leadership is sinful. Instead of drums are evil, it's accountability is evil. 
Instead of, they're a bunch of apostate wackos, it's, they're a bunch of apostate wackos. Well, I guess that one's pretty much the same charge levied both ways. But for the former fundamentalist, it is all too easy to distort and exaggerate what are actually historic Christian positions in order to denigrate one's former associations and, in doing so, become just like them all over again. They end up drinking from the same corrupt well they just left behind and have traded one form of fundamentalism for another. I hear this a lot with the atheist camp. They leave Christianity and then they turn around and say, well, religion is evil, Christians are bigots and xenophobes and misogynistic. Those are very fundamentalist statements. And, and I'm going off script here, but I want to share with you, I think this really has to do with being reactionary. Fundamentalism was formed as a reaction to modernism. I'm not saying it shouldn't have been formed, but it was. And then when people leave fundamentalism, and, and, and again, I'm not saying they shouldn't, same thing, I'm not saying they shouldn't leave, but we do tend to become elastic and rebound, and, and if we're not careful, we can become just as fundamentalist as what we left behind. In summary, the original meaning of fundamentalism has been lost to time and history, and what's typically called fundamentalism today needs to be scrutinized closely, for it can be really harmful. I agree that a ton of what calls itself fundamentalism today doesn't resemble true fundamental beliefs at all, and is full of peacocking, hidden sin, ignorance, hypocrisy. Yes, it needs to be sent packing. But at the same time, I want to caution us to be careful not to replace one form of fundyism with another. Both are unsubstantiated, unbiblical, and irredeemable, and none of it deserves safe quarter in your mind. So until next time, Stay balanced.